0: Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode we're going to get into uh, Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to talk about circumcision and Passover at Gilgal in the second work at Gilgal, a radical obedience. We'll just jump into the first verse. Fear of Israel's enemies at the faith and obedience of Israel. So verse 1, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted, that there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So melting hearts are a great thing if they melt into uh, repentance but sometimes hearts melt before God and then solidify again into an even harder state and when our spiritual enemies see that we are trusting in God and are willing to step out in obedient faith even when it seems crazy they instantly lose confidence in their battle against us. And we may forget, but our spiritual enemies always remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And they know that when we are really trusting in God, their defeat is assured. So it would appear to human wisdom that now was the time to strike. Fear had gripped the enemy. But in spiritual warfare, and that's what we are in uh, dealing with, always proper preparation is essential. So let's jump into verses 2 through 8, where the circumcision of Israel. Israel at Gilgal. And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself. And circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show him the land which the Lord had swore to their fathers that... He would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. So, apparently, all during the forty years of waiting in the wilderness, none of the sons born during that time had been circumcised. Now God commanded that this be done. So, Joshua makes clear the reason why there was a new generation born in the wilderness because the old generation did not obey the voice of the Lord and take the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey by faith. And this new generation was raised up in place of the generation of unbelief. God's work would go on, but the people of God who had unbelief would not share in it. So circumcision was always a powerful act of consecration to God. In it, an Israelite said, I'm not like other nations. I listen to God and do what he says I should do. And it was stepping out in faithful obedience and identifying yourself as one of the Lord's people. And it was renouncing the flesh of the world. And it was denying to the self and living to God. And obviously, um they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed this was suicidal from a military standpoint all the men of fighting age were made completely vulnerable and unable to fight for a period of several days till they were healed right genesis 34 verses 24 and 25 describes how Simeon and Levi killed all the men in a city after tricking them into having them all circumcised and while the men were unable to fight properly they were sl- slaughtered in retaliation because the prince of that city had had raped Dina, the sister of Simeon and Levi, and this could have been the fate of Israel here in Joshua chapter 5. So not only did Israel cross over the Jordan at a militarily undesirable place right in front of Jericho, the strongest military outpost of the Canaanites, they also incapacitated their army for several days and they did this because they trusted God and his directions instead of their own wisdom, and they were put in place, in the place where they could trust in nothing. But God alone. A hard place, but a good place. So God only asked this of them after He showed His greatness by the Jordan River crossing. And when we remember all the things that God, uh, the power of God, has done in our lives, and we are willing to trust Him with radical obedience, right? And then we get the effect where God is going to roll away their approach in the coming verse. Let's look back real quick at verse 2, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and his people Genesis 17 verses 9-14 through it was God's sign to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 which was in the sky why? it was a covenant not only with Noah but with all of nature so Abraham received circumcision as a personal seal of the righteousness of the faith he had in Romans chapter 4 verse 11 right and it could be nullified by disobedience Romans chapter 2 verse 25 we too are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in Christ Christ, Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 12 the fact that this is linked with burial and resurrection is precisely what has been emphasized in the two sets of stones in Joshua chapter 4 right you get the second time in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 11 so looking at verse 3 a little bit more closely this might seem surprising for a military commander they were in enemy territory and thus especially vulnerable right remember Genesis 34 with Dina but God was in charge and a leader is often called upon to take risk. Barabbas and Paul hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 15 verse 26. Paul would say of uh, Epaphroditus that he risked his life in Philippians chapter 2 verse 30. Christian warriors are spoken of as risking their lives. And in verse 4, we can compare this with not my people in Hosea chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 and chapter 2 verse 23 of uh, Hosea. Then yet, future of the diaspora about to end, right? The lack of faith at Kadesh Barnea can Considered a breach of promise back in Numbers 14, verses 32 through 34. And in verse 5, the people talking about the circumcision, even Moses apparently goofed. He didn't follow directions in Exodus 4, verses 24 through 26. And his sins also appear to be blotted out so remember verse 7 and their children whom raised up in their stead Joshua circumcised and they were uncircumcised because they were not circumcised then by the way so amazing remember even after 40 years they were not circumcised and they had not observed Passover And Gilgal in these passages means rolling away. All right, let's look at verse 9 real quick. The effect God rolls away their reproach. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Right, so Gilgal means rolling away so what reproach what dishonor their shame from Egypt right the shame of their degrading slavery so God called Israel to a place where they saw themselves as they were in him by faith they could see themselves as an obedient trusting people and stop seeing themselves as they were in their slavery and bondage and of course this is the same work God wants to do in us taking away the dishonor and shame of our previous sin and rebellion and seeing ourselves as who we are in Jesus and how was the reproach rolled away by their radical trust and obedience to God by taking the specific action he told them to. So what is the reproach of Egypt? The common view um, is that some will view this as referring to the reproach which proceeds from Egypt, the reproach with which the Egyptians would have reproached the Israelites if the Lord had failed to bring them into the land according to his promise. And this would have been supported by Moses' intercessions in Exodus 32, verse 12, Numbers chapter 14, verses 13 through 16, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 28, and chapter 32, verse 26-26. Or 27. And however, if that is what the reproach of Egypt means, it would have required only their successful entry into Canaan to roll it away. So here it is achieved this day of circumcision. So another view is the badge of freedom. Circumcision was prohibited to the Hebrews while they were slaves in Egypt. It was a distinctive mark of the ruling class in Ezekiel 32 verse 19 and Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 25 and 26. Even so, it did not have the same significance for the Egyptian. For the Israelite, it was a token of his relationship to God. So lack It, no Israelite could eat the Passover in Exodus 12, verses 43 through 48, and that would be to his reproach. Our application is highlighted in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. So, delivered from the bondage of Egypt for 38 years, the people of God were slow to avail themselves of their God given rights and privileges, right? And how about us? For a circumcised Israelite to live like an Egyptian would have been a denial of the very thing his circumcision signified. Even in the Old Testament it was a matter of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 and chapter 30 verse 6. Abraham did not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. There may have been as much as 25 years between Abraham's first belief in God and his circumcision. In all those years Abraham was not separated from God. And the same applies to us. Romans chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. In like manner, our Christian circumcision distinguishes us and separates us from the world. Romans chapter 2 verse 29. By it, we are committed to lovingly obey him who has set us free from the tyranny of sin and Satan. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 20. So remember the controversy that led to the confrontation in Acts 15 the judaizers who were adding human works to God's grace in Ephesians chapters 2 verses 8 and 9 and uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 believers had the true circumcision right Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 it was a spiritual surgery had given them a new heart found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24, Colossians chapter 3 verse 10, and Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 19 and Ezekiel 36 verse 26 as reference. This perception was embodied in the naming of the place. Gilgal meant a wheel or rolling away. Isn't it too bad that we rarely communicate the real significance of Christmas or Easter, right? With the pagan holidays. It becomes Joshua's center of operations in chapters 9, verse 6, chapter 10, verse uh, 6, 15, and 43, and chapter 14, verse 6. So Saul, the first king, is also crowned here in 1 Samuel chapter 11. David was welcomed back after Absalom's rebellion was subdued in 2 Samuel 19. Samuel included it in his circuit in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16, and it included a school of the prophets in days of Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 and 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 38. It was a dwelling place of the prophets in northern Israel, about four miles or seven kilometers from Shabbat. Shiloh and Bethel, and it became a shrine where false worship was involved. Hosea condemned the people for worshiping at Gilgal instead of Jerusalem in Hosea chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 9, verse 15, and Hosea chapter 12, verse 11. So Amos echoed his warnings as well in Amos chapter 4, verse 4, and chapter 5, verse 5. All right. Let's get to Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, where the Passover celebrated, looking back at the redemption from Egypt. Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho and they ate of the produce of the land on the day of after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. So the original Passover itself could never be repeated, but there was a power in its remembrance. They were to always live remembering that they were a people delivered and remembering God's work of deliverance. In the same way, we are to be in a constant remembrance of our redemption at Calvary and live our lives in the shadow of the cross. So this is a preparing a table before them in the presence of their enemies in Psalm 23 verse 5. Celebrating Passover right near their enemies, they had not kept a Passover for 38 years, and this is the second celebration of Passover. The first was in Sinai, in Numbers chapter 9, verse 5. And it will be his second coming that the final redemption will be completed. So... Let's move on to verse 12. We'll get a new source of provision. God stops the manna. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten it, uh, eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So when the people were able to provide for themselves from the rich produce of Canaan, God stopped the manna. He didn't want them to get lazy, but to enter into a new partnership of trust with him. And you had to trust God to bring manna every day, but you had to trust him to provide for you through other means as well so God always provides but he is perfectly free to change the source of his provision from time to time and we need to also trust in him, not his manner of provision, or we, will be, or we will stumble when that changes. The city of Gilgal became the beachhead and camp for Israel in their conquest of Canaan. They returned there after battle and remembered, finding strength in the remembrance of, the remo- of their memorial, their obedience, and their redemption. Ah, can't speak today. It is good to have a place like Gilgal in our life, and this is a place where we first look, um we First, come into God's promise, a place of memorial, a place of obedience and redemption. So, looking at verse 12 a little bit, its cessation was a miraculous as its initiation, right? It sounds like dispensationalism, which can be found in John chapter 6, verses 33, 49, 50, 58, and chapter 12, verse 24. Passover reminded them of their redemption from Egypt. Manna probably reminded them of their desire to go back to Egypt in Exodus 16, verse 3, right? They probably Probably sick of manna at this point They had manna bread, manna burgers Manna helper, manna pancakes, manna cotti. Um, So They were probably sick of manna at this point And excited just to get back to some normal food So God fed his people The bread of heaven, the food of the angels In Psalm 78 verses 23 Through 25 Yet they still lusted for the food of Egypt When they were back in Numbers 11 Verses 4-9 through 9. And it took only a few days to get Israel Out of Egypt, but it took 38 years To get Egypt out of Israel, right? So Jesus gave his life for us, and he gives his life to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 through 8 right and Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says if you then be risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God set your affection on things above not on things on the earth All right. let's take verses 13 through 15 where Joshua is going to meet with the commander of the army of the Lord and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "'Are you for us or for our adversaries?' So he said, No, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Amazing passage. Joshua boldly approaches this mysterious man with a drawn sword. As a shepherd over God's people, he has a responsibility to see if this man is a friend or a foe. And he puts a logical question to this impressive man. Are you for us or against us? And the response of the man is curious, almost elusive. No was not a proper answer to Joshua's question. In a sense, the man refuses to answer Joshua's question because it is not the right question. And it is not the most important question to be asked at the time. The question really wasn't if the Lord was on Joshua's side. The proper question was if Joshua was on the Lord's side. And the man announced who he is, commander of the army of the Lord. This is God himself pulling rank on Joshua, who himself was a great military leader. But he was not the commander in chief. Right? This is an old testament appearance of Jesus Christ happening. Right? Understand it. And we know that this being standing before Joshua was God. Jesus came through the Old Testament, right, in human form. But he came as a human once through Mary. Right, we've got to understand the distinction. Jesus came many times to the Old Testament, but he comes through Mary as a human once. So here he is talking with Joshua. Though the title "Commander of the Army of the Lord" could perhaps apply to an angel such as Michael in the passage of Revelation chapter twelve verse seven, we understand by Joshua's following down and worshiping is inconsistent with angels who never receive worship in Revelation chapter twenty-two verse eight army of the Lord here is used in a way that implies that the armies commanded are angelic armies. This is a being who commands angels. And as well, Joshua refers to the angel as my Lord. But most of all, the command to remove his sandals, a picture of humanity in contact with the dirty world, was to Joshua, who read and knew Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, right? The burning bush, because he was in God's word. is clear proof that the man standing before him was the voice from the burning bush, right? And the idea of Jesus, who's the second person of the Trinity, appearing as a man before Bethlehem is provocative but logical. He knew that he existed before Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, let out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose things forth are going from old from everlasting, right? And why should he not, on isolated but important occasions, appear in bodily form? And this idea is also evident in passages like Genesis 18, verses 16 through 33, where the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them and sent them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing. Since Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Right? This is when Jesus and two angels come before the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And again in Genesis thirty two verses twenty four through thirty, right? When Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, who did he wrestle with? With Jesus Christ. And now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that he touched the socket out of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him, right? In Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the evil delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man from uh, Zora, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not eat anything unclean." clean, for behold you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Okay. So, Joshua's total submission to Jesus Christ shows that he knows who's really in charge and it's also a virtual guarantee of the victory for Israel. When we follow after the commander of the army of the Lord, how can we possibly lose? So, why did Jesus come to Israel at this strategic time? And he had come to instruct Joshua in the plan to capture Jericho. Joshua will carry out a plan in the following chapter that is so improbable it could have only been initiated at the direct command of God. Most of all, he had come to conquer Israel. Before Israel could conquer anything else in the promised land, they had to be conquered by God. And Joshua's total submission shows that they are conquered by him. And this is the missing element in a life of victory for many Christians. They have not been um, and are not continually being conquered by God. We must allow ourselves to be conquered by Christ and then follow him. Now let's look back real quick. The phrase lifted up his eyes every time he used is a prelude to a major milestone in scripture. It's like a brave century. Um, Joshua issues a challenge to the guy he sees, who turns out to be Jesus. And we know that this angel that he comes across, angels are not to be worshipped, and John does this twice in Revelation, and the angel does not allow it, right? And you can note the name here. He uses Lord, who is the captain of of our salvation in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. So this angel permits to be worshipped in Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 and 22 verses 8 and 9. Uses the same language given to Moses and Joshua some 40 years earlier in Exodus chapter 3 verse 5. The methodology here, um, for example note the role of the shoes. You had the calling. There's no shoes in the tabernacle. The divine provision in the wilderness in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 5. Boaz has the marriage license. It's a symbol of shame in Deuteronomy 25 verses 9 and 10 uh, marriage license in Ruth chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and it's a symbol of stature for John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Mark chapter 1, verse 7, and Luke chapter 3, verse 16. So, the holy ground within heathen territory, there is no such thing as secular and sacred, uh, common and consecrated when you are in his service. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. The Lord had promised to be with Joshua just as he had been with Moses back in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. To Abraham the pilgrim, the Lord came as a traveler to share in a friendly meal in Genesis 18 verses 1 through 8. Right To Jacob later on, the schemer, he came as a wrestler to bring him to a place of submission in Genesis 32 verses 24 through 32 and to the three uh, Hebrew young men he joined them in the fiery furnace you'll remember in Daniel chapter 3 verse 25 our Lord always comes to us when we need him and in a way that we need him in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3 says then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle Right? And when was this? it was right here and also in Numbers 21 verse 14 so we currently are engaged in a warfare. And the key lesson of chapter 5 is that we must be spiritually prepared if we're going to be successful for His name. Humble worship in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. We have to have a holy walk in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 and 17 verse 5 or chapter 5 verses 2, 8 and 15. And then we have to have uh, there's heavenly warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 so like joshua we have already been given our inheritance in ephesians chapter 1 and 2 now yet we must overcome the enemy in order to claim it for ourselves and enjoy it all right next time we'll get into chapter 6 and we'll talk about the conquest of jericho thank you for joining me